Hello, the time is 10 past 11 on Sunday night and the date is the 30th of November 2014 and welcome to episode 57 of Roy's Rocket Radio. Yeah, we're back. So, I wonder how you guys been? Well, I've had a pretty busy week, which is why last week's podcast, and I tend to be doing this all the time now, is I'll start the show with an apology, but yeah, there was supposed to be a podcast last week, and I just didn't make it in time. But the good news is, I've got a whole lot more interesting and nerdly goodness to impart to you tonight. So let's start. First, a bit of sad news. Not personal news this time. In fact, I've got hardly anything personal to say this week. But, um, yeah, Glenn A. Larson has died. So this is of particular interest to fellow nerds because Glenn Albert Larson died on November the 14th. Uh, He was... His name should be familiar to the end credits of a lot of shows. He was a fairly controversial writer-producer in Hollywood, and he created shows like Battlestar Galactica, Quincy, The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, BJ and the Bear, The Fall Guy, Magnum P.I., Knight Rider, and he was an executive producer of The Six Million Dollar Man. And he did quite a lot of other things too as well, but just there, that's quite a list. And it's like running through half my childhood, actually. And because of this, I think he deserves a mention in this podcast. So, R.I.P. Glenn Albert Larson, January the 3rd, 1937 to November the 14th, 2014. So to start off, we'll start off, well, we'll go straight into TV, and we're continuing with our Doctor Who marathon. This week's serial that we're covering is The Smugglers. This was first broadcast from the 10th of September to the 1st of October 1966. The writer is Brian Hales, the director Julia Smith, producer... Innes Lloyd, and the cast, William Hartnell as the Doctor, and now, new, Annika Wills as Polly, and Michael Craze as Ben Jackson. The companions, of course. The new companions. So, in this serial, the Doctor and his new companions, because if you'll remember back to the last podcast, uh, Dodo Chaplet decided to stay in London of the swinging 60s, possibly quite a wise move. Uh, She'll certainly live longer, and and if you're going to be in London, the the 60s doesn't sound too bad a time. Well, where am I? Now I'm lost. Oh yeah, okay, so the Doctor and his new companions uh, arrive on the English coast, which is apparently Cornwall. And I'll explain why I'm saying apparently a bit later on. Almost immediately, Polly and Ben are put in the frame for a murder. And while this is being sorted out, 
the Doctor becomes involved with some smugglers who call him Sawbones, which of course is the name that uh, people on ships in, in those days called Doctors because one of their most common operations was to saw bits of you, uh, saw legs and arms off after things had fallen on you in a, in a ship, like if there's, there's a storm on a ship and a mast falls on your leg, uh, the old saw bones will, will hack it off for you. So the Doctor is, is called Sawbones by many of the piratey, smugglery, sailory types that he bumps into. And the, these sailors who the Doctor gets involved with are a bunch of smugglers slash pirates led by their captain, uh, a man called Samuel Pike. And they're seeking, they're searching for the treasure of their former leader, a pirate called Avery. Lots of things happen as usual. The, the, the plot becomes extremely complicated. The Doctor weaves in and out of different ridiculously complex scenarios that he gets himself muddled into. But in the end, and as is usual in many of these serials, there's a big fight, and in the confusion, the Doctor, Polly and Ben escape. Uh, and yeah, like I've said before, just now, that you see this a lot in many of these early adventures at least, uh, which seem to end a bit like a Bond film, uh, though usually without huge explosions. Uh, well, so far anyway. Now, my view, I found it hard to connect with the new companions. I think I'm just getting companion fatigue. There have been so many changes in Doctor Who's staff. <laughs> That's not really fair. His friends, they either die or, or just leave. They get fed up of travelling with him. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a bit tired of all the chopping and changing. But... There is also the fact that they are, well, Polly especially is, is very good looking, uh, but instead of that making it, them easier to, uh, to like, it actually makes it a bit harder because they are, they are very trendy and, and very normal. Um, they, they don't seem to have, carry the nerd gene put it that way. So, where am I? No. Oh yeah, that's one other thing I want, that's another thing I wanted to tell you about. So, first, first I'll just say that the most notable performance is that of the villainous smuggler, Captain Pike, Samuel Pike, played by Michael Godfrey, who is clearly, very, very clearly channeling uh, a kind of British Peter Cushing. Oh, not Peter Cushing, of course. What am I talking about? Vincent Price. Yes, 
not Peter Cushing at all, Vincent Price. Uh, he's... I'm not sure if it's fair to call Vincent Price Kemp. Is he Kemp? I suppose he is. Uh, but yeah, he, he's playing a very Kemp, uh, villainous Vincent Price. He's wearing a lot of uh, Captain Hook type lace. Um, much, much smarter than Captain Jack Sparrow. But yeah, he's definitely hamming up the whole pirate thing. Now, there's another notable presence in this particular serial, and that is of a fairly famous uh, British black actor of Jamaican origin, uh, actor and dancer, Elroy Joseph. He plays, uh, he has a fairly minor role but apparently he was, he was pretty famous early on, so this probably meant something to, to the audience of the time. And he plays a sailor, he plays a, a sailor in Pike's crew named, uh, quite originally, Jamaica. Uh, if you want to read more about uh, this is Elroy Joseph, uh, just go into the show notes and I've put a link to the Liverpool Museum that has an exhibit about him. Actually, I can tell you the URL now. It's Liverpool, all one word, liverpoolmuseums.org.uk. And then just search for Elroy, E-L-R-O-Y, Joseph. Right, earlier on when I was uh, talking about what happens in, the, in this particular episode, I said that the setting was apparently Cornwall. Now I say this because I found it really, really difficult to follow the plot. This is one of those recovered serials, and it mainly consists of set photographs and an extremely degraded soundtrack. I actually had to consult the internet to read the full plot synopsis as it was so difficult to follow. And I've got a little bit of trivia here to share with you. There really was a pirate called Henry Avery. And he was from the west of England. I don't know for a fact that he was from as far west as Cornwall. And what I've read of him is that he really wasn't a very nice man at all. I suppose he wouldn't be, would he? He's a pirate. Next, I'm watching a new series called The Intruders. This is a BBC America slash BBC Two mystery uh, playing on, well, irregularly, I believe, on Mondays at 9pm on BBC Two. So in this drama, we have a troubled cop played by John Sim, who, you know, I saw him playing a troubled cop not so long ago, but okay, he's playing another one, but this time an American one. So troubled cop John Sim is having marriage problems because his wife seems to be going mad. 
Now that's not necessarily that surprising as she has just recently lost a child and on top of that he's got a drinking problem and on top of his drinking problem he's no longer a cop after shooting dead some suspects. Um, so that's the basic scenario that we're given. From this we other things are happening around him, not necessarily involved the things that he is involved with yet. Uh, fairly early on we see the murder of an entire family. But very slowly all these random events start to weave together like any good mystery does. You see, Jack has stumbled onto a group of immortals known as the Nine. Uh, if this sounds familiar to other fellow fans of genre, that's because the number nine is used in, in a lot in genre fiction. Uh, I'm not talking about that animated movie, the, the most recent animated movie either. There are things like Philip Jose Farmer's Immortal Villains, who are also called the Nine in books like Image of the Beast. And that's not even the earliest instance. Uh, Philip Jose Farmer might have got this idea of Nine, uh, a cabal of villains called the Nine, from even earlier work. For instance, there's a novel called The Nine Unknown from 1923 by a guy called Talbot Mundy. Uh, look it up if you don't believe me. And what, what's interesting, when, when I did do my own research on the internet, uh, this quite clearly fictional novel by Talbot Mundy, Mundy sorry, The Nine Unknown, has been misinterpreted as gospel by a number of, um, what would be the polite way to say this, uh, blogs of people who believe in rather unlikely things, uh, conspiracy theories. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that behind. Uh, so there is, um, There is a background of, of using uh, a group called the Nine as some kind of sinister behind-the-scenes uh, organisation that orchestrates uh, horrible things that we don't know about. I have to be careful with how much I tell you about this, so if you don't want to know, if you, if you want to watch the show, um, I suggest you don't read the notes, <laughs> my show notes. Um, I'm, I'm looking through it now and, and trying to carefully avoid giving away too many spoilers. Um, I can say that it's very enjoyable and very nicely complicated. What I like about it is the way it weaves fiction with fact um, and messes with things that we think we know, like things about religion, but puts a really weird spin on them. The cast, as I said before, consists 
of the protagonist, played by uh, Brit actor John Sim, plays Jack, a former cop. His wife is played by the lovely Mira Sorvino, who plays Amy. Uh, James Frain, an another Brit actor, uh, playing, surprise, surprise, a villain. Uh, he plays a guy called Richard Shepard. Uh, James Frain, the... might not be familiar to everyone, but he has been in quite a few things. Uh, I remember him best as Peter Fleming slash uh, Chess. Uh, the game, as in the game, that's his code name, Chess, who is a masked supervillain in the short-lived TV show called The Cape in 2011, and we've talked about that also in a previous podcast. Uh, and he also played a really violent gangster called Reyes in Into the Blue in 2005. And the reason that film has stuck in my mind is because it's one of the films I have. It's not a great film, but it's got a lot of Jessica Alba swimming. So, <laughs> um, let's, let's, let's just leave that. Okay, uh, the other notable members of the cast. Ah, I want to mention one member of the cast, Millie Brown, who plays a very, very disturbed uh, young girl called Madison. I'm not going to say much more of that because it will give too much of the plot away. Uh, but it is amazing, her acting. I don't know how old she is, but she's supposed to be playing a girl who is maybe, I don't know, 10 or 11. Uh, but the acting is really superb. Um, so that's Millie Brown, someone to look out for. And finally, Alex Diakon. I don't know who this guy is, but I recognise his face. No idea what else he's in, but I know he's in a lot of other things. Now, I could Wikipedia this up, but I'm not going to, otherwise I'll be doing this all night. But that's Alex Diakon, who plays an extremely horrible, horrible man called Marcus Fox. Um, horrible and fascinating. Horribly fascinating. So that's all I've got to say about Intruders. Uh, it's a good show, it's on BBC Two, and it's worth checking it out. Um, oh, well, I, actually, I've got two more bits to say about Intruders uh, that I found out at the last moment. There was... I've got a bone to pick with the Radio Times blogger who has bemoaned the fact that this is an overly complicated plot. I just don't agree. I think it's as complicated as it needs to be. Um, and if it wasn't as complicated as this, it would be a lot less engrossing. So I don't agree with what this blogger has said. Uh, I won't name any names, but um, I, I think the, the show is great. Oh, and finally some trivia. This won't give away too much because this is a minor thing, but an interesting little tidbit for you. The villain, Richard Shepard, played one of the villains, one of the bad guys, not, not a head villain, but bad guy, 
uh, played by James Frain, is a character called Richard Shepherd, who sports a rather singular double-barrelled forty-five semi-auto. Double-barrelled. Now, when I first saw it, I thought, you know, that can't possibly exist. They've just taken two prop guns and glued them together. But no, it is a thing and it does exist. It, I, I looked this up and it's called the AF2011-A1. 2011 because it was designed and built in 2011, possibly to coincide with 100 years of the famous Colt M1911 used by the US Army to this day. But this particular monstrosity is made by an Italian company called Arsenal Firearms. It does look a bit silly, uh, but it does exist. It does have an enormous, humongous grip to accommodate the double-width ma uh, magazines. And surprise, surprise, these guns, although made in Italy, in Europe, are largely sold to the American market. Hmm. <laughs> Look, I don't want to insult anyone because I know the vast majority of people who download my podcast are from the US, but what are you guys doing? Okay, next, movies. The Hunger Games 3, Mockingjay Part 1. This was the last movie I watched. And I have to tell you that I found it brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I must admit that I am annoyed that the last of the Hunger Games books has been adapted into two movies, a bit like The Hobbit. Nevertheless, this is a great movie. Katniss Everdeen has survived the last Hunger Games in the capital. Uh, she brought back, if you remember, she brought down that force barrier with, with a bow and arrow. Uh, and her previous fan base has, you know, both has someone who has defied the capital um, and also has a hero of the games, has made her into something of a hero of the revolution. Uh, with people who are against the, the tyranny of the capital and President Snow. So much so that the rebels' uh, president, led by Julianne Moore, of District 13, uh, want the Katniss to become something like a figurehead, a mascot, a kind of sci-fi Che Guevara. Katniss does agree to become a figurehead on the condition that they help that uh, District 13, who are leading the revolution, uh, help rescue the remaining contestants who are still in the capital. Uh, that includes Peter, 
who has become uh, kind of a uh, a Lord Hawhaw, um, a, pro a propaganda voice piece for the bad guys. Um, I mean, it becomes fairly obvious later on that he, you know, he's been, he's not doing this voluntarily. Uh, Plutarch Heavensby played the games maker, played by the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, is great as the Machiavelli-like manipulator. He plays the role nicely understated, as befits a master puppeteer from behind the scenes. Jennifer Lawrence is brilliant as the raging, damaged but not defeated Everdeen. I also greatly enjoyed the more thriller-like tone of the film uh, compared to the, the, the excitement but also the bedwetting terror of the last two movies. Um, what else can I say about it? Oh, I... I could say the reason why Julianne Moore is leading the good guys is as the president, she's the president of District 13. Uh, District 13 appears to be what remains of the US armed forces, so they've got a lot of weapons that they can hopefully use against uh, the, you know, the might of President Snow. I think anything else you can easily pick up in the first few minutes of the movie anyway. And I'm not spoiling it by mentioning this. Um, so all in all, very good. I, As I was saying, they've got a more thriller-like tone. And I found, you know, I also found the movie more relevant. Um, the screen adapters are obviously watching the news and... We see reflections of our own world in this movie. For example, there's a scene where President Snow decides that the word rebels uh, doesn't quite cut it. You know, it sounds too heroic. Um, and they eventually settle on uh, that, well, that the word rebels should be replaced in all their newscasts and propaganda by the word radicals. Also, there's uh, there's a lot of stuff about media manipulation uh, in this movie, almost more than the force of arms, um, and finally, there there is a scene uh, which kind of makes it even more like our own world. Uh, a scene which involves uh, the bombing of a hospital, um, which has happened, in, like I said, in our own world, and I'm <laughs> definitely not the only one who noticed that. Uh, so, yeah, go, go and see this movie. I, I, yeah, I haven't really got a bad word to say against it. Uh, it is extremely stirring. You... 
you sit there and you get as angry as Katniss uh, does, um, and you're just taken along for the ride. Um, it's it's not as visceral as the last two films. It's definitely more cerebral, but that's a good thing. Ah. I'm just looking down at my notes, and on the final line, I, I found out another thing. I, I read that the uh, the new Musical Express uh, has reported uh, a day or two ago that there is a, apparently they talked to the director who has said there's a possibility of more movies after the the final part, which is well, hopefully the final part, which is part two. Mockingjay Part 2. Um, you know, I really hope not. Uh, th this feels like something too big to be uh, a TV series. It's way too cinematic. And I think going beyond Part 2 will spoil the franchise. And, you know, th those people who have uh, worked on these two films, worked so well on these two films, the cast, the, the crew, can go on and do something else. Uh, equally good, or even better. So hopefully, after part two, that'll be, that'll be it. So all in all, I was deeply impressed. So nice one, everyone. Next, The Maze Runner 2014. So, briefly, some boys wake up in an area called the Glade, which is just outside a giant death trap maze. Uh, the faster boys uh, become maze runners, uh, whose job it is to map the maze looking for a way out, although there doesn't initially appear to be one. Into the mix, um, we get a new arrival, and we see things from his point of view as he learns about the maze runners, the maze, the glade, um, the fact that no one can remember why they're there. Um, then something really, really unexpected happens, which throws everything uh, into chaos. And I'm not sure I want to talk more, much more about that, because it, it will give the game away. It, it's, it's, it's not as easy to talk about as The Hunger Games, uh, because there's a great deal more mystery to, to this uh, movie, based on the young adult, adult novel, uh, well, trilogy of the same name. I found it surprisingly tense, and I was surprised at how scary bits of this was for me. Uh, well, that that might just be me. I'm I'm pretty sure kids, most kids, will be able to handle it better. But yeah. Now, although the story is completely and utterly different to The Hunger Games, it does share, well, apart from the fact that they're both youth fiction adaptation, it does share the same grim tone, uh, the same, well, not the same type of violence, but the, uh, certainly the same amount of violence. Um, 
and the view that the authorities don't always have your interests at heart, um, which I find rather refreshing. You know, it's good for kids to learn that early on. So next we've got some trailers. Um, and we'll start off with Pan. So I'll roll the trailer and then we'll just talk about it for a bit and I'll do the same for a couple few more movies and then that'll be it. So this is Pan. Roll the trailer. Peter, it's your file. Will you read it? It's from your mum. My dearest Peter, I long for the day that I can come back for you and explain everything. You are extraordinary. More than you can imagine. I promise that you will see me again. In this world, or another. Tribe's bravest warrior. Well, well, well. The princess, I presume. Oh, well, I'm actually just a minor, but I appreciate the compliment. Bishop. Are you insane? did look quite intriguing. So this film obviously about Peter Pan before he became Peter Pan uh, does look quite fascinating. I, I think I will be watching this. I know there was another film called Pan with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman which, which was a bit of a disaster. Um, but this does have... Um, no, it, it, it's just, uh, it's grabbed me. Anyway, so that'll be out in summer 2015. So, another big summer blockbuster, I suppose. Next, we have The Hobbit. So, this is the uh, 
final, hopefully, episode of the Hobbit duology. Um, oh no, wait a minute. I think there's three movies, isn't there? Oh, blimey. Well, anyway, this episode is called The Battle of the Five Armies. So, we'll just roll that trailer. Now. Thorin, you gave a promise. You brought upon them only ruin and death. You've won the mountain, is that not enough? something of mine. This was the last move in a master plan. A plan long in the making. These bats are bred for one purpose. For more. Leave Sauron to me. See what you have become. Everything I did, I did for them. You started this. You will forgive me if I finish it. When faced with death, what can anyone do? I will not hide. But others fight our battles for us! You have but one question to answer. How shall this day end? And that will be coming out pretty soon on December the uh, 12th. So, only a couple of weeks away. So I can guess that that's what I'll be doing uh, around mid-December. Along with probably the rest of the UK. You know, for the life of me, I can't remember if this is the, the last or the... Second, just the second film. Is is the second film the last film, or is there a third? Oh no, I, I, I really don't want to wiki. You know what? I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, sorry about this. Most unprofessional. Battle of the no, not Hastings, not the Bulge. God no. Five armies. Oh, what does it say? What does it say? 
Upcoming 2000 and... It will be the third and final... Oh yeah, of course, we had that, that film that went on and on and it had Stephen Fry in it and we had that fishing village and it had politics and it was... Yeah, okay, so this is the final... Uh, the final movie. So, well, yeah, that would be a relief to... Uh, I don't know, do I want to go and see it? I, you know, I'm, I don't really want to go and see it, but I think I'm going to go and see it anyway. Uh, I'm conflicted. Oh, let, let's just leave that for now. Uh, next we have Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, this was the uh, trailer that was shown at the cinema and then later distributed over YouTube. So, rolling that trailer now. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Wow, <laughs> you know how many times I've watched that trailer. Uh, so this film is coming out on December the 18th, 2015. I can't believe that's a year away. A year away. I've watched that trailer at least 10 times now. I've stuck it on my blog. Uh, I even went as far as looping the scene where the Millennium, Millennium Falcon flies over that desert into the air, swoops around, does a kind of loop-the-loop, -loop, and then goes to attack those TIE Fighters. So if you want that on Infinite Loop, uh, either look up my tweet on Twitter or, or just go to the blog, that's easier. I've embedded the tweet to the link with the loop on my blog. It does look amazing, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, I'm sweating just thinking about it. I, oh, okay. Uh, so, we all know that they've got Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, the, the original main cast of the movie. But what's really cool is they've also got Anthony Daniels, who played C-3PO, 
Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca and is actually 7 feet 2, two inches tall, and Kenny Baker, who played R2-D2 and does fit inside R2-D2. I'm so stoked about this movie. Uh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to it. Um, and it's only a trailer. How long is it? I don't know, one minute? One or two minutes? No. Oh well. Year to go, so I'll, I have to calm myself down. Drink, drink lots of green tea and, and meditate. Okay, uh, next we have Jurassic World. So I'll roll that trailer now. I'm really proud of you for going on this trip. You're gonna have so much fun. And remember, if something chases you, decade from genetics than a century of digging up bones. A whole new frontier has opened up. We have our first genetically modified hybrid. You just went and made a new dinosaur? Probably not a good idea. Almost 40 feet high. Really think she climbed out? Depends. On what? What kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab? Evacuate the island. She's a highly intelligent animal. She will kill anything that moves. Doesn't look half bad, really. That'll be out again, a uh, summer movie for ju scheduled June the 12th, 2015. As we can see from the trailer, Island Nubler is now a tourist attraction. There's a plesiosaur that is that they feed with sharks, <laughs> really big sharks. And there's a new hybrid 40-foot extra dangerous dinosaur that's, that they've bred. Lunch is served. I think it looks pretty good. Now, I know the Jurassic franchise kind of went a bit wonky after the first movie. Um, although I, I didn't find the, the second movie that terrible. 
the, the one with Jeff Goldblum. Um, but the subsequent movies were a bit boring. I can't even remember what happened in Jurassic Park 3. But this new, uh, new stab at the franchise does look pretty good. Uh, some big, uh, brainless fun. So that's two, two, two interesting films to look forward to next summer, Pan and Jurassic World. Uh, for the others, we'll have to wait a little longer. Although this next movie, we won't have to wait that long at all. So I'll just play uh, the trailer for the next movie, which is Ex Machina. So how does a programmer get to be meeting the CEO? I won a competition. The president can't get Mr. Garrick on the phone. You got the golden ticket. It's good to meet you, Nathan. It's good to meet you too, Caleb. Can we just get past the whole employer-employee thing? Cheers. In many ways, this building isn't a house. It's a research facility. I want to talk to you about the greatest scientific event in the history of man. Are you building an AI? Hello. Hi. I've never met anyone new before. Have you? None like you. She's incredible. The challenge is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible? Why would it not be? Have you never been outside this building? We could go together. Did you program her to flirt with me? Do you think about me? If you lie, I will know. No. Lie. Maybe she's pretending to like you. Well, why would she do that? Do you think I might be switched off? It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? You shouldn't trust Nathan. You shouldn't trust anything he says. I think it's the next model that's going to be the real breakthrough. Well, what do you do with the old one? You have to help me. One day the AIs are going to look back on us. Upright apes, all set for extinction. Is it strange to have made something that hates you? What were you doing with Ava? This is a sci-fi movie scripted by Alex Garland of 28 Days Later and the novel The Beach. Uh, so it's got a good writing pedigree behind it. Uh, but you have to remember Alex Garland also wrote Sunshine, uh, which, okay, a lot of people like, but personally I, 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 I can't stand that film. It's just so wrong. The basics of it are that we have a robot girl who possibly goes berserk. Not quite sure yet. Uh, and that movie will be out on January the 23rd, 2015. Uh, so the lineup for movies on my playlist, my personal playlist over the next year, is 
Uh, let's see. The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, coming December the 12th, 2014. Ex Machina, January the 23rd, 2015. Pan, Summer 2015, got no exact date yet. Jurassic World, June the 12th, 2015. And the big one, the Great big monster of a movie. Star Wars The Force Awakens, December the 18th, 2015. Oh. You know what I'm going to do after this? Uh, when I'm editing the podcast, I think I'm going to watch that Star Wars trailer again for the 10 millionth time. Like I said, if you want to see the Millennium Falcon on an infinite loop, <laughs> go to my website, which is roymatur.com. And kick on, uh, sorry, click on log, and that will take you to my blog. Um, get in touch if you want me to talk about anything during the podcast or if you want to be a guest. Otherwise, that's about it for this week. So, with the time coming up to, well, the time is now, in fact, 11.54. Almost five minutes to midnight. That was it for episode 57 of Roy's Rocket Radio, recorded on Sunday the 30th of November 2014. So, I'm now going to edit this and upload it. Uh, So thanks for listening, and hope to see you next time. Uh, This time I won't say that it... I won't give a specific date when the next podcast will take place because I never seem to be able to stick to any uh, any schedule. Uh, so let's just forget about a Sunday podcast and just say I'll see you when I see you. But hopefully it won't be too long. That's it. Bye for now. Bye! <laughs>